When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. It's Mark Grandy. It's Evan Giddings. As always, Mark, my man, how are you? I'm doing good, Evan. Getting ready for Niners, Cowboys in the playoffs once again. Should be a lot of fun. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm jazzed. Look, we got about 48 hours. This episode's releasing on Friday morning, so you get the full 48 before the 3.30 kickoff on Sunday at Levi's Stadium. It's two versus five. It is San Francisco versus Dallas. It is a rivalry. I feel like last year, Mark, it was renewed. Now it feels... And this is this isn't a word, but rejuiced. All right. It has been rekindled, so to speak, because San Francisco got the better of Dallas last year. And this is a, I was just taking a look at the all time rivalry mark like this is a very obviously historic one, but a very close one and one that San Francisco nor Dallas has dominated, because when you just take a look at, you know, kind of the the records, what Dallas has got five Super Bowls, San Francisco has got five Super Bowls. This is the quest for six, and they got a good shot shot on it this year. But both teams have been to eat. Well, San Francisco has been to seven NFC championships. Dallas has been to eight, and the all time series is nineteen eighteen and one, slightly in favor of Dallas. So technically, San Francisco could tie the all time series record this weekend. It is a a matchup that we'll dig into, of course, throughout this episode. But just on its surface, it is a historic rivalry and one that I'm sure is going to draw a lot of eyes this weekend. Oh, 100%. I mean, you mentioned the NFC title games that these two teams have been to separately. Uh, Well, six of their eight playoff matchups thus far, the one on Sunday is the ninth, but the previous eight, six of those eight, Evan, were in the NFC title game. So, these were kind of the cream of the crop in the NFC in the early 70s. Uh, you know, the one year in the 80s, 1981, when they made it, that was the the epic Niners win 28-27 uh, with the catch in the 92, 93, 94, three straight years in the NFC title game. Dallas won the first two, the Niners won the final one. And that 94 year until last season was the last time these two teams met in the postseason. So you're right. Last year was kind of rivalry renewed in the postseason. And now, you know, it's take number two. The Niners came out on top in that wild card game. Uh, they easily could have lost if if Dak Prescott doesn't decide to scramble at the, for the last play without any timeouts left. The Niners were sitting pretty comfortably for a lot of that game, and then a Jimmy Garoppolo interception happened, and and things started falling apart, but the Niners still came out on top. But that game came down to the wire, and now it's over in Santa Clara here in the 2022 season, taking place here in 2023. But you're right. This is kind of a new chapter in the Niners-Cowboys rivalry because it had been so long before these two teams 
had met. And this isn't the NFC championship stage. This isn't the NFC title game, but it certainly is a step up from last year when they did meet in the wild card round. And now it's for the right to go to the NFC title game. So a big game, albeit not quite the same billing as, as some of the past meetings between these two teams. Sure. And, and as much as I think both sides, really the fans uh, hate each other. And as far as, you know, Dallas being the, the, the fan base and the franchise and the brand that's propped up in San Francisco has held water more so in the last, say, 20 years than the Cowboys have in the playoffs. It, it doesn't like I don't have a, a feel of, you know, which game or which team this game would mean more to, because, you know, if you just look at Dallas, the last time they won a road game, Mark, was yeah. in 1992 at Candlestick against the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. So there's obviously a lot on the line for both sides, and I'm sure both sides just, to put it bluntly, want to kick each other's asses. <laughs> uh, so it, it does, I, like, I'm excited because I'm going to get to go to the game, and it does, I am looking forward to not only a playoff-type atmosphere, but also the type of juice that surrounds Dallas and San Francisco. And I think also, too, with just, you know, kind of the stories of these two teams this year, there is a lot on the line when it comes to legacy because I think a lot of people throughout this season and heading into this year were perhaps down on Dak Prescott, perhaps down on Mike McCarthy. Well, they've they've righted the ship a little bit with advancing to the divisional round. Meanwhile, the 49ers, which were a team that was expected to be in this situation, has undergone, as we've talked about over the episodes, a lot of internal evolution. And now there's a, a legacy on the line, so to speak, for its new youngest rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy, a chance to prove himself against a hated rival and a chance for the rest of the veteran members on the 49ers to uphold you know, the, the mantle that they brought home last season with beating Dallas on the road. So there is a lot on the line, both as far as historic you know, references are concerned, but also this year and what this game means to these two teams. It's an interesting conversation. I'm not so sure what I would say if, if I had to answer what which uh, which team this game means more. It, to. it feels I, pretty level to me, although I'm sure each side would say F the other. I, I do. I think I agree with you that it's relatively close. If I had to pick, you know, gun to my head, I think I'd probably say Dallas just because they're more in a situation where they need results to kind of keep this train moving. Meanwhile, the Niners, I mean, if they were to lose on Sunday, of course it's disappointing and it's frustrating and, and everyone would be upset, but it's not like you're looking to tear things down and, and move on. Like you, you're not firing Kyle Shanahan. You're not moving on from John Lynch. You're not trading Brock Purdy. You're not doing any of that. If the Cowboys lose, especially if it's in a blowout game, uh, perhaps they Jerry Jones looks to move on from Mike McCarthy. Maybe they try for a, a long-term solution at quarterback after, yes, Dak Prescott gets a road playoff win, but but can't beat uh, a Niners team to, to go to the NFC title game. Who knows? So I think maybe for that reason, it might mean a little bit more for Dallas, but that's certainly nothing that the Niners care about. I mean, you're talking about a chance to go to the NFC title game, and this is a Niner team who has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations for this entire season, despite the fact that their quarterbacks have been hurt multiple times. If I had to pick, I'd probably say Dallas for kind of some of those external reasons. But I mean, internally, players don't really care about that. They're just trying to win a game. Yeah, no doubt. And then when it comes to the matchup itself, you know, I, I do think it's San Francisco automatically has the advantage. They have played the best football 
in the last 11 weeks, they have dominated who has been on the other side. But also Dallas, who I think kind of surprisingly, I, I expected them. We both did expect them to beat Tampa Bay, but not necessarily to do it in the fashion that they did. So you have the two teams that look the best from Super Wild Card Weekend now playing in the divisional round. Were you surprised at all to see the line as close as it was being now currently uh, as this episode is released on Friday? I believe three and a half points. Yeah, and I've even seen four. And if you're watching on YouTube, you see down there uh, Niners minus four. I am surprised. I think the Niners should be five, five and a half point favorites in this game. Honestly, Um, I know we talk a lot about a lot about betting here on the podcast. And I know you are strictly a, a March and early April better, which I, I fully understand and appreciate. I hopped on. It's Niners really just because of my toxic uh, mentality when it comes to gambling. <laughs> I, get way I hopped too on. It. I hopped on Niners minus three and a half immediately. I, I think that line is off. So I I'm on that. We'll see how it does play out, but I'm surprised. I mean, we've talked a lot throughout the season about how the Cowboys are, you know, probably relatively clearly the third best team in the NFC all season long, you know, Eagles, Niners, Cowboys. But I do think there's a, a relative gap between two and three. And when you add in the fact that the Niners are at home, Evan, um, I think they should be favored by by more than three and a half. Four is is closer to, to what I expect, which is where it is right now based on, you know, a, a number of different places. But there are still three and a half numbers out there as well. Um, I mean, what the three and a half number four number is, is telling you is on a neutral site. Well, this would be almost even. And I, I don't yeah. think that's right at all. So I, I think the Niners should be favored by more. We'll see how it does play out. But I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not too surprised because the Cowboys generally are an extremely public team. And of course, Vegas is setting these lines for the public and, and the money that they're expecting to get. And generally there are more Cowboys betters than other teams betters. And that does influence the line a little bit, but I do think the Niners should be favored by a bit more. Yeah. As much as I think Dallas would have a larger fan base, I do want to give credit to the 49ers fan base who last year absolutely showed out at Jerry world in Dallas, Texas. And I expect it to be obviously a much heavier San Francisco crowd at Levi stadium, but more so than what we saw last year in Dallas. I I don't expect there to be as many, you know, big D representatives up here in in San Francisco or Santa Clara, as opposed to the ones we saw last year. So, you know, when, when you're talking about a neutral site, like I, I do see similarities between this, these teams, Mark. And I do think, if there was not a two-day rest disadvantage for the Cowboys, I might be able to see why the line would be suppressed, but it's just, it seems a little bit fishy. And I I believe San Francisco will win this game. I believe they will cover. We'll get to our picks at the end of the episode. But do you think that the rest disadvantage, Vegas is not making it out to be as big as we believe it is? I thought it was a big deal. I mean, you have two extra days, not only to rest and get your bodies right, but to game plan. And I mean, you're, you're the Niners. You win on Saturday um, and then the the Vikings lose and you know you're playing the winner of Tampa and, and Dallas, excuse me. And you recently played Tampa. So you have a pretty good base knowledge there. So I would imagine what happened was once the Vikings lost, the Niners started prepping for Dallas because they knew they already had a, a pretty big head start on Tampa Bay because they just played them a handful of weeks ago. So not only do you have the advantage in terms of rest and getting your body ready, 
but you have the advantage in terms of preparation. You started preparing for Dallas while Dallas was still preparing for Tampa Bay. Like that is how this thing happened. So in my mind, that's a gigantic deal. But Kyle Shanahan was asked this on Wednesday. Uh, and I mean, I guess it's easy for him to say, but he said it doesn't really matter all that much because in the postseason, you kind of look past the recovery aspect a bit more because it's it's playoff games and, and teams and players are just so juiced to play. Uh, let, let's hear from Kyle Shanahan talking about what the rest advantage might do for his team and the disadvantage it might do for the Cowboys. I mean, I think it can be advantage. Sometimes it can be a disadvantage. So I know the obvious ones, um, you know, you get less rest, less time to recover. You know, I love having more time and stuff, but man, sometimes you feel like you can't play those Thursday night games and you get to it and your team is just off the wall because um, they just, they haven't slowed down at all. And by this time, it, I don't think it is about recovery. It's about detail and it's about executing and it's about playing at a high level. Once you get to games, especially in the playoffs, that recovery, I mean, people forget about pretty quickly. And I mean, just watching the Rams last year, I mean, they beat the Cardinals as good as anyone. And then they flew all the way to Tampa and I think they were up 28 to zero at halftime. So I don't think it means anything. I don't think it means anything. Kyle Shanahan says having a two day rest advantage that Rams team he's talking about last year, they played that Monday night game against Arizona and then followed it up by playing Tampa Bay on the road. The difference though is Tampa Bay did not play on Saturday. They played on Sunday of wild card weekend, meaning they only had the one extra day over the Rams. And now it's easy for Kyle Shanahan to say it doesn't mean all that much because he's the team with the advantage. But Evan, I did think it was interesting that he said in the playoffs, kind of similar to some Thursday night games, you don't really want your team to kind of have that lull in intensity because it's the postseason and because it means so much. And with a shorter time between games, your, your team kind of stays amped up and stays fired up for that game and never has that down period. And maybe that helps them get out to a hotter start early in a game potentially. But I didn't really think of that as aspect. Who knows if Kyle Shanahan is telling 100% the truth here, but that was an interesting perspective. Yeah, I, I kind of get it. I think it's also easier for him because they have the advantage of rest, but also because San Francisco is the team that currently every other team is trying to adjust to because they are the most recently reformed, I would say, group in the NFL, especially on offense. Now, what they've done all year defensively hasn't really changed much, but they've been the top unit in football, so you don't have to change. Again, the other offense is adjusting to what the defense does. Now with Brock Purdy and having only you know, seven, I guess if you want to include Kansas City, eight weeks you know, to essentially look at tape of Brock Purdy, you have maybe a larger sample size to choose from, but you are also still playing a different version of the San Francisco offense than what we saw from week one, obviously. But even from week eight, week 10, you know, when they got an integrated Christian McCaffrey. So there are multiple things that this offense for San Francisco throws at an opposing team that they have to you know, hold serve for. And that, I think, is is maybe being a bit underplayed by Kyle Shanahan because he knows what Dallas wants to do. I mean, that that's that's a relatively it's the same team, same offensive coordinators last year, and pr probably a better defense, better running game, better offensive line. But what they do stylistically is the same. What Kyle Shanahan has been able to transform on his side to me makes it so the like whoever they're playing is going to have to do a lot more digging and research. And that's where the two days also hurts because 
you know, maybe you spend one day just focused on how to stop a certain formation or a certain, um, you know, string of plays that Kyle Shanahan is going to use. We, we hear all the time that they have four plays in one. Okay. So if it's a certain formation, you have to worry about this certain look that may take the majority of a day to try and figure out just what package you want to play in defensively. So I think Dallas has the tools in, and athletically can hang with San Francisco offensively. But when you just talk about the mind games that Kyle Shanahan is going to play to me, that's where the two days also factors in because you have less time to just strategize and that's going to play itself out on Sunday, I believe. Yeah. And and maybe with a little bit less time to strategize, they just have to rely on their brute force and their strength of their team is their defensive line. You can include Micah Parsons in that who sometimes plays as, you know, a standing up linebacker, but is an edge rusher and, and sometimes drops back a little bit. But I mean, he's incredible. 13 and a half sacks this season. You also know about Demarcus Lawrence, six sacks, but Dorrance Armstrong, a defensive end, has eight and a half sacks. Dante Fowler Jr., uh, a really uh, early, high first-round draft pick a number of years ago who hasn't had a ton of success early in his career and has kind of bounced around. He's good kind of as a reserve pass rusher for Dallas. He has six sacks. Uh, Osa Odigizua from the defensive tackle spot is really good as well. The strength of that defense is their defensive line, Evan, and it's going to be on the 49ers offensive line, a relatively young offensive line to give Brock Purdy time to make him comfortable and and give him time to find his receivers. That's the key matchup in this game for me, Evan. It is the Niners offensive line against the Dallas defensive line. Niners defense is incredible as a unit, the best defensive unit in football But Evan, it's my humble opinion, the Dallas Cowboys have the best defensive line in the NFL. The sack numbers, the pressure numbers, the quarterback numbers all back that up. They are elite, and this is the biggest test of the season for the Niners offensive line. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they probably got a bigger one waiting next week if they can get by Dallas, because even though the Cowboys, like you mentioned, have been dominant up front, especially getting to the quarterback, Philadelphia has been even better. So this will be a good test should they be able to get past the Cowboys and take care of business on Sunday. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings, Mark Randy. Follow Mark on social at Mark Randy. Mark with a C, Randy with an I. I'm on social at Giddings 10, at 415ers, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest. Okay, so we talked about, you know, maybe the matchup defensively up front that we're going to be looking at. Winning in the trenches is certainly going to be important, but that is because of the two guys in the backfield for both sides. Obviously, in San Francisco, it is Brock Purdy. In Dallas, it is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott equaled his career playoff victories last week with one, and now he has two. Brock Purdy also has one, of course, having won his first playoff game and scoring four total touchdowns. Prescott did him slightly one better, scoring five total touchdowns against the Buccaneers. So if we're looking at quarterbacks, Mark, and we we can dig into to those two if, if you want, but you know, looking at the entire NFC right now, I think it's it's probably easier to just look at the Niners side of the bracket because in the AFC, quite frankly, that is where all the the major talent lies. But if you were to rank Brock Purdy among the remaining NFC quarterbacks, where do you feel like he would fall? This is really hard. Um, is it crazy? Is it absolutely insane to to think that he might deserve to be in the two spot? I mean, is that is that crazy? 
I mean, he's he's clearly not number one. It's it's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts deserves that. He's been incredible, and I know he's been injured. I mean, and he's hurt. been hurt. We don't we don't know what he's going to look like. If I, I'm still taking Jalen Hurts, I, okay. I don't care. But beyond that, I mean, I feel like Daniel Jones. You have to credit him for having a, a really good bounce back season, and he's utilizing his legs. He's he's really effective and, and tough to game plan for. Dak Prescott maybe is the the most up and down uh, of the group. And then Brock Purdy, who's obviously still incredibly young and trying to shake off the, uh, I don't know, the idea that he's just some seventh round rookie flash in the pan. But looking at what he's doing, it's pretty impressive. I think those three are relatively close to each other, Evan. Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. So, I don't know. Again, I'll ask you, is it crazy if I think he, he might slide into that two spot of these four quarterbacks? I don't. I also think it's not crazy to think right now because I, I view Brock Purdy through the lens of the 49ers offense. And the yeah. 49ers offense has been the most dominant offensive unit since week eight efficiency wise in the NFL. And they have taken another step since getting Brock Purdy. So if you want to make the case that Brock Purdy, because of what surrounds him and what he's done and the consistency that he's played with, would elevate him above a quarterback that was in the MVP conversation, I'm sure we'll get votes in Jalen Hurts, but has missed a large amount of the you know final month of the season, and we don't know if he's playing with a you know partially hurt shoulder, if, it's if it was separated, what damage was done, how effective he's going to be, if he's going to be allowed to run the football, which is a major part of his game. If you're telling me that it's a 100% Brock Purdy versus an 80% Jalen Hurts, I think that I might even want Brock Purdy in that situation Wow! because Jalen Hurts is a dual threat quarterback. If you take away one of his threats, he becomes significantly more limited. Brock Purdy has shown you that against whoever's been in his path so far, that he can dominate with the help of his surrounding cast games. So I, I don't have a problem with number two, Mark. I think the real question is, who would you take number one? That is wild, Evan. Coming in with the hot take. I'm not sure I'd, I'd go that far. Um I do appreciate you coming out and, and saying that, uh, but I'm not so sure I can agree with you. Um, I don't know. I, I, I also feel like I Dak Prescott, I feel like, is, is one of the hardest quarterbacks to evaluate. And I know that there's a lot of Cowboy fans. I mean, we talked about it last episode, the, the Cooper Rush series of games where people were like, oh, oh, he should start over Dak. This is the guy to lead the Cowboys now. Like, Cowboy fans not particularly overjoyed with Dak Prescott and beyond maybe when he broke onto the scene and had a really good season. And, you know, before he, he suffered that, that really, really gruesome leg injury, their feelings were different. But I mean, since then a lot has changed and, and you mentioned only his second playoff win and he's been their starting quarterback and been to the playoffs pretty often. Uh, he's fallen short in some really big moments. So he's really difficult for me to, to kind of evaluate on this larger sense and compare to some other similar quarterbacks. Um, and I personally am a, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Jones. I really like that the, that the Giants and Brian Dable gave him another chance. You don't get that very often in the NFL anymore. You struggle for three, four years, you're out. 
Um, and, and he's been able to, to kind of turn things around, not saying he's an elite quarterback by, by any stretch, but he's had a really efficient and good season. Uh, I think Brock Purdy's there with all of them, but I, I still think Jalen Hurts is, is a step above. And I don't know. I, I guess the way I would look at it is without knowing what Jalen Hurts' health is right now, if I were to take one quarterback to help me win a playoff game this weekend, Evan, I would take that you know, lottery ticket on Jalen Hurts, hoping that he was fully healthy over maybe the the safer bet in a, in a healthier Brock Purdy potentially, but with a limited upside compared to Jalen Hurts. I, I think I'd still go Jalen Hurts. Yeah, if you're asking me who the better player is, who has been the better player the entire season, it's it's Jalen Hurts. And oh, I yeah, but, but to win close. this one game right now, I still think I'd probably take Hurts. I have to see how he looks. Again, like, if if they're kind of, hiding how damaged that shoulder was, then I, I I don't I don't know if I can trust Jalen. I'm trusting more so everyone else around Jalen Hurts. And like look, Mark, it's it's always troublesome <laughs> with a quarterback when you have an arm injury. And I, I believe Jalen Hurts is an awesome quarterback, but I'm just saying that it 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 is difficult for me to handicap until I see him play, which we will this weekend. As far as Dak Prescott is concerned, I really like Dak Prescott. I I, I think he's a he's a quality quarterback, and I feel like I'm higher on him than a lot of people are, uh, just because I, I I believe that his highest highs are better than a lot of quarterbacks. The issue is that he is an extremely volatile player. And turning the ball over 11, well, throwing 11 picks, not even factoring in the fumbles, but 11 picks in the last seven games of the regular season is, is to me, out of the ordinary, and it was unacceptable. And that's why I think people were done with Dak in Dallas. But I also think that what we saw last week against Tampa Bay is probably closer to who he is as a quarterback as opposed to that turnover-prone guy for the last two months, in my opinion, the totality of his career would tell you that he is a point scorer as opposed to a point giver when it comes to turning over the football. And then Daniel Jones, I, I do wonder a little bit, Mark, if, yes, the Giants stuck with their guy, quote-unquote. However, if you look at the rest of the roster outside of Saquon Barkley and outside of I, their, their defensive line is pretty good. They have a couple of players you know, on the defensive side of the football but I do wonder if this was Daniel Jones's last dance, so to speak, and that New York had it not set up for him to fail, but they didn't exactly go out and get him a lot of weapons. I know they spent money on Kenny Galladay a couple of years ago, <laughs> but th this receiving core is not exactly stout. And so it's Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley against the world. And if they had failed this season, which I think was a lot of uh, kind of the expectation, especially based on the division they're in, um, I don't know if Daniel Jones would still be seen as, you know, the, the quarterback in the Big Apple. So I'm glad he's played well this year. I'm glad he's saved his job because that's what I believe he did. Uh, because if he didn't have a good year, he'd be on his way out. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but at, at the same time, I mean, at some point, a team does have to move on. I mean, this is what, his fifth year? Uh, I mean, he's been around for a while. At some point, he's gotten he got a long a rope. Yeah, he has. And he, you know, good for the Giants. He has kind of proven himself now. And I mean, if you're the Giants, you could have easily drafted a quarterback in a first round last year or the year before or a couple of years ago. Try to go out and acquire a veteran. Uh, I mean, they could have acquired 
I don't know, someone like Carson Wentz, like a couple of teams had done the last couple of years. They could have went out and given the starting job to Matt Ryan, but they stuck with their quarterback that they drafted a handful of years ago, and it's paid off for them. So I applaud the New York Giants for doing that. I credit Daniel Jones for sticking with it. Uh, and you got to give a ton of credit to Brian Dable as well. That's been quite the turnaround there. Um, but yeah, getting back to, to the 49ers and the Cowboys, the quarterback matchup is going to be interesting, Evan, because I think if you are looking from the Dallas perspective, how do the Cowboys win this game? First of all, it is the turnover battle. You can't have Dak Prescott turning the ball over, and you mentioned league-leading interceptions. He's he, He's been bad in that regard this season. He was not, though. He was really good against Tampa Bay last week in the wildcard round. Aside from that, they need Dak Prescott to just simply have a better game than Brock Purdy. Dak Prescott has to be the better quarterback on the field on Sunday if the Cowboys are to win, and that's going to mean probably 300-plus yards and at least two touchdowns. He's He's got ha- to do that against this 49er defense, and that is an extremely tall task against this elite defense, against this defensive line. The Cowboys' offensive line is still pretty good. Um, they they have had some injuries there, but he they're still pretty good. They have some weapons. I mean, C.D. Lamb is extremely talented. I personally like Michael Gallup. Noah Brown isn't bad. They got T.Y. Hilton, who's not nearly as good as he has been in the past. Dalton Schultz at tight end is good. But for Dallas to win, Evan, they're going to need a baseline, what, 300-yard game from Dak Prescott. And he has to be better than Brock Purdy for Dallas to have a chance. See, I think what Dak Prescott needs to do, and I don't know if, if a yard minimum is where my mind goes to, but what he needs to do is he needs to be able to scramble. He needs to be able to pick up first downs with his legs like he did against Tampa Bay because, as we've discussed ad nauseum over this podcast in our first season, is the 49ers struggle with dual-threat quarterbacks. If there is any form of improvisation from Dak Prescott, I do think that will pose some challenges for the defense. I do think that the 49ers can overcome them because I do think at some point Dak Prescott is going to give the 49ers a turnover, and when they win the turnover battle, they do not lose. I also think that the weapons for Dallas are a bit underrated. I- I'm with you. I think CeeDee Lamb is a-, is a dominant receiver. I think Michael Gallup is a great deep ball guy. T.Y. Hilton was able to find soft spaces in the Tampa Bay zone on Monday night. I also think they have a great set of running backs. And Tony Pollard, in my opinion, would be a a more dependable option than Ezekiel Elliott. But they balance each other with, you know, the more bruising kind of running style that Ezekiel Elliott brings to the table. And Tony Pollard is, is more of their Christian McCaffrey as far as being able to put him in the slot, bring him out wide. He's not as good as Christian McCaffrey, but that's the kind of, I guess, way that I think a lot of Dallas fans would view Tony Pollard as a Swiss Army knife. So, you know, I don't they they certainly don't have the type of weapon weaponry that San Francisco does, but it might be underplayed just as far as how many options Dak Prescott has on offense. And that's honestly why I was so surprised that he threw 15 picks in 12 games this year. It's like, you got so many dudes out there. I know they had some injuries, uh, but that was the more alarming part to me about his turnovers. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the, the Michael Gallup, Christian McCaffrey comparison. I don't know if you saw, and oh, I Tony don't... Pollard. Oh yeah. What, what did I say? Uh, Gallup, I think. Oh, Gallup. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of Gallup. I do really like Gallup, but Tony Pollard, Christian McCaffrey, 
Uh, I don't know if you saw, and I don't blame you if you do, because I try to avoid him at all costs, but I don't know if you saw what uh, Skip Bayless said about Tony Pollard. Uh, he uh, said, yeah, uh, I did. <laughs> Tony Pollard better than Christian McCaffrey. That's a hot Well, take he might right have there. to be if they want to win this game, and that True. that's the type of odds that I think we're looking at, which is why a three-and-a-half or four-point spread is a little perplexing. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that is just an incredibly incredibly asinine take i mean i i tony pollard is really good he's kind of come out of nowhere the last couple of years but he's he's nowhere near christian mccaffrey's level and i mean mccaffrey is since he started the niners have still have not lost a game so so that is huge uh tony pollard is kind of their change of pace back and he's slowly been been getting more and more work as the season has gone on ezekiel elliott seems to be on the you know, back half of his career, he seems to be winding down because they used him so heavily the first four or five years of his career. Just doesn't quite have that juice in him anymore, it seems like, and Tony Pollard is picking up the slack. But you're right, they are two totally different style backs, and they need to rely on both because uh, if it's only Pollard in the game, it becomes, you know, relatively easier for the 49ers to defend because they might know what's coming. But if you you swap you swap it up with two different style running backs, Similar to maybe a McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, it, it becomes difficult to game plan for. So we'll see how the Cowboys do deploy those guys. But I do agree with you. They have a handful of, of weapons uh, that will make it difficult. They can spread the ball around. That's what they're going to have to do against this defense. Yeah, no doubt. And getting back to the quarterbacks, just something I want to mention that was a bit of a story this week uh, that I kind of want to put to bed, I think, until the offseason was, you know, the, the, a story written about Brock Purdy and his future. And we've certainly discussed that on the podcast at the tail end of the regular season, but now heading into the postseason, Mark, I'm at the point where I really just want to focus on this team, this quarterback, and we can bookmark all of those future quarterback conversations for the off season because, you know, Trey Lance was, was written about the athletics, Tim Kawakami essentially stating that Purdy is QB one, Trey Lance is QB two heading into next year. The 49ers, in, in his professional opinion, would take or field offers for Trey Lance, but likely wouldn't make a deal. I just feel bad that Trey Lance continues to not catch stray bullets, but continues to be in the spotlight even when he is not for the reasons that don't concern anything really positive to do with him. I mean, the, the kid has dealt with so much this year. I, I just believe that when we talk about the quarterback position in San Francisco, it's something that we need to do after the conclusion of however long this playoff run is. And so as much as I appreciate the, you know, the, the journalism and the, the professionalism from everyone discussing the quarterback spot, uh, I, I do think we will also, and we've been victim of this, we will put it to bed uh, for the rest of the postseason. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there'll be plenty of time to discuss this in the offseason when it's actually something that the Niners are considering. I'm sure it's a thought in the back of their head, Evan. Uh, but they're focused on trying to win a Super Bowl right now. And I think we wouldn't be, you know, doing the team justice, trying to, our best to, to figure out how they're going to get through this postseason if we weren't doing the same thing. So I'm with you. Uh, I do feel bad for Trey Lance and how the first two years of his career have gone. Uh, but this is a, a conversation, in my opinion, for the offseason when you're trying to think about what the future of that position looks like for the 49ers. So I'm with you. Let's bookmark it and, and we'll pick it back up in February at some point. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully in February. <laughs> uh, who knows? We might have to pick it up next week. But <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network of 95.7 The Game 
Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings. Please download, rate, subscribe, wherever you download your podcast. All right, getting back to the matchup, Mark. Okay, you mentioned kind of your 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 biggest factor, so to speak. We looked at the trenches, the quarterbacks. What else comes to your mind when this matchup is concerned with Dallas and San Francisco? Because I think we're all in agreement that the 49ers have a better team. They're playing better football. Uh, but Dallas is in a, a bit of a reversed role from last year where it seemed like there was more of an expectation for them to win and thus, you know, maybe some lemon booty down the stretch. Who knows? But now all the pressure is on San Francisco to defend home field at Levi's Stadium and to get to the conference championship, which they were a year ago. They are better than they were last year as a team. I penciled them into the conference title game. I believe they will win this game. But there is a little bit of that, you know, being forced into it, backed into a corner of expectation. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it, considering Dallas is on the other side playing with, I would say, house money at this point. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, I don't know, uh, the way that these two teams are entering this game. Um, I guess in, in danger of sounding like a broken record, I will say that third downs are going to be huge in this game. I think more so than normal. You look at some advanced metrics for the 49ers, and and these are their defense-adjusted value over average numbers on the defensive side of the ball uh, for the 49ers. On first downs against pass plays, Niners best in the NFL. On first down against run plays, Niners second best in the NFL. Second down pass plays, fourth best. Second down run plays, third best. What about against the run on third down? First. What about third down against the pass, Evan? This is the one. Niners 23rd in the NFL. Their defense uh, defense adjusted value over average against the pass on third downs. 23rd in the NFL. And you might think, all right, well, how was how does that translate to, you know, their opponent third down conversion percentage? Niners are 19th best in the NFL, allowing just to take under 40% conversions on third downs. The only team still left in the postseason worse than the 49ers on third downs defensively is Jacksonville. They give up about 43.5% on third downs. Again, this is on defense against opposing offenses. You look at Dallas, where are they on third down conversions offensively? Fifth best in the NFL, converting about 46% of the time on third downs. This number is really perplexing considering the fact that the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL. And when you consider you're in a third down and you're going to face a pass, you generally know a pass is coming. Yet the Niners struggle to stop that. 23rd in the NFL against the pass on third downs, if the Cowboys can convert some third and longs, keep drives alive, that could keep them in this game. And who knows, it could ultimately win them this game. That is a place I'm keeping a keen eye on all game long, more so than normal, because the stats suggest the Cowboys might have an advantage specifically on third downs. I think that's a great point. And the other place that we're going to look, and, and it may sound simple, but it's the red zone. Now, we've kind of talked about maybe not concerns with the red zone efficiency, but just some of the numbers that have stood out. And Mark, you know, you laid out beautifully, I think it was a week or two ago, the fact that the 49ers in the red zone have been slightly less efficient with Brock Purdy than Jimmy Garoppolo. 
I think that's partially because of the red zone attempts that Brock Purdy has created much more so than Jimmy G. At the end of the season, San Francisco stands fourth as far as total red zone attempts. The issue is they're 17th in red zone percentage, turning those opportunities into touchdowns. Guess who the number one team in the NFL is? The Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. They are over 70% red zone to touchdown opportunities. That, I think, is where this game is going to come down to because if San Francisco can, A, hold Dallas to field goals, well, we don't know what Brent Maher is going to be on on Sunday (laughs) as a kicker, missed four extra points on Monday night. But the other part of that is, and the, the second part is, if you are not turning over Dak Prescott, it does appear that Dallas will take advantage of those chances, those possessions, because they tend to score a lot when they get inside the 20s. So if San Francisco's not turning over Dak Prescott, I do think they'll at least force one on Sunday. But if they're not doing it repeatedly, how can they try and at least make things difficult in the red zone for Dallas? Meanwhile, on the other side, Brock Purdy, who creates a lot of chances inside the 20s, can he cash in against the Dallas team that, maybe not in recent weeks, but over the course of this season, has been slightly better as far as scoring points, 27.5 per game for Dallas, about 26.4 for San Francisco. So this is a Cowboys team that can score with the 49ers and showed it on Monday night against Tampa Bay. But how can you, inside the red zone, do enough to make sure that you're getting touchdowns and that the opposition is taking field goals? If the 49ers can do that, again, it may sound simplistic, but I think they're going to win this game. And if they and if they win the red zone chances, I think they might win this game running away. Yeah, they might. I mean, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. One thing to note is that the Cowboys have, I mean, we talked a little bit about it. Their defense really has not been good recently. I do think there's an opportunity here for the 49ers. If we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, if the offensive line can keep Brock Purdy relatively clean, and he has also shown an ability to, you know, escape pressure and keep plays alive. I think a little bit in that first half against Seattle, he also showed kind of a tendency to maybe try to escape some pressure before he has to, and it, and it kind of makes plays feel a little helter-skelter at times. Uh, so if the Niners' offensive line can keep him comfortable back there and and maybe he can fight that urge to to kind of flee away from the pocket when when he might not have to, that's going to be important. But if the Niners can do that, Evan, I think there is still a possibility for the 49ers to put up 30 points in this game like they've done relatively often over the last you know handful of weeks, over the last month plus or so, a couple months, in fact. I mean, the defense for Dallas gave up 14 against Tampa Bay, and really all of that was garbage time. It, it, the game was really already over, but that offense for Tampa Bay is just so messed up. I think that was probably more to do with Tampa, maybe then Dallas, uh, Washington with Sam Howlett, quarterback, put up 26 on them. Tennessee with uh, Josh Dobbs put up 13. It's not a big number, of course, but they're playing against a nobody at quarterback. Philadelphia with Gardner Minshew scored 34. Jacksonville put up 40 on them. Houston put up 23 on them with Jeff Driscoll getting a number of snaps at quarterback. I mean, this is a defense that has taken their lumps recently against bad quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is better than all of those guys, maybe other than Tom Brady, although you could probably have that conversation right now if you wanted to, who's better at this very moment. Uh, so not only has Dallas been porous defensively over the last number of weeks, Evan, 
uh, but they're also playing the best offense by far that they've played in that stretch against a quarterback who's better than a number of guys they've played recently. So I, I do think while there's a lot of talk, rightly so, about how good this, this Dallas defense is, specifically the defensive line, I mentioned it myself a little bit ago, I do think there are there's an opportunity for the 49ers to put up 30 once again. And if they do that, they're not going to lose this game. I think Dallas can score with San Francisco, but I do think if we're talking about the defensive line, it is more against the pass. I mean, this is a team that you can run on. They are, I believe, 17th in yards per attempt defensively against the run. Total yards this year, they're in the 20s. So they're the, the bottom 10 of teams allowing yards against the run. And that's what San Francisco wants to do. They want to put the ball on the ground. And what's the best way to neutralize a pass rush? It is to run at them and run the football. So if Brock Purdy, I think it where he will get into trouble is if he tends to trend towards that first half where he threw the ball 19 times. To me, a perfect number of attempts for Brock Purdy in this game would be about 20. And in between the 20s, run the ball as effectively, hopefully, as you did on that first drive out of the second half against Seattle. Christian McCaffrey is going to be early and often, along with Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell. And when Dallas, they do have a lot of speed, and I think they have a linebacking core that can get sideline to sideline better than obviously in Seattle. But if Micah Parsons isn't allowed to pin his ears back the way he was the entire game against Tampa Bay, I think he had 10 quarterback pressures against Tom Brady. If he's not allowed to pin his ears back, and he's also not chasing a scarecrow in the backfield like Tom Brady is as opposed to Brock Purdy, I do think the Niners can have some success setting up the pass as they have all season with the run. So Christian McCaffrey is going to be option A. I would say Debo Samuel, whether it be on the ground through the air, is option two. And there's going to be a lot of that 21 personnel that Kyle Shanahan has fallen in love with with Brock Purdy. So if Brock Purdy can, like you say, not fall in love with you know the, the dancing in the backfield and trying to do too much, I do think there's inevitably going to be openings for him and this offense to put up 30 points, and then it's just on the defense to hold serve. I know they haven't done that as much lately, um, but I do think that this can be a high-scoring game that the Niners can win, and even if it's a game that's in the 20s, I also think they can win. I want to jump back to something you, you just said. McCaffrey option one, Debo Samuel option two, whether it's through the air or on the ground. I, I think in a vacuum, I agree with you, and I think Dallas agrees with you. And this brings me to my point. I was going through a lot of Dallas's games and where they have struggled in areas that they have you know, failed to, to slow down opposing offenses. Interestingly enough, Evan, they are terrible against number two receivers. Generally, second best options for their opponents. And I think they're going to believe one Christian McCaffrey is the best option on the ground, but we'll throw him out for the sake of this conversation. I'm focusing specifically on, on wide receivers. I think Dallas will agree with you. Debo Samuel is the biggest threat through the air. What does that mean? It's Brandon Ayuk's time to eat. I think he goes off in this game, at least six catches, 100 plus yards, and a touchdown. He is going to have so much room to operate. You just look at what the Cowboys have done against number two receivers recently. Week 18 against Washington with a rookie at quarterback. Jahan Dotson had 72 yards. He's their second best option 
at wide receiver. You look uh, a couple weeks before that when they played Gardner Minshew in the Philadelphia Eagles. No one will doubt A.J. Brown is their number one guy. He had 100 yards, but Devontae Smith, the second best receiver, eight catches, 113 yards, two touchdowns in that game. What about against Jacksonville where they lost in overtime? Christian Kirk, they paid him all their money. He's the number one target there. But Zay Jones, 109 yards and three touchdowns against this Cowboys defense. Go back to the game they barely won against Houston. Do you even know who Chris Moore is? Well, he was their second receiver in that game. Ten catches, 124 yards. The Dallas Cowboys try their best to shut down your top wideout. In this game, I believe they'll try to slow down Debo Samuel after what he did against the Seattle Seahawks. That will open things up for Brandon Ayuk. A huge game for Ayuk, over 100 yards, one touchdown. Book it. Coming up for Brandon Ayuk. We shall see. I do like the breakdown. I do think that Dallas is also just like an opportunistic defense, right? Like, I don't think they necessarily play, especially against the pass, um, extremely stout. But if you give them a opportunity, they will hurt you. And they can turn over teams. They've done it for the past two seasons. But I think that this year they have elevated themselves both on defense. And, of course, it really just all comes down to stopping Micah Parsons. Just like for Dallas, it comes down to stopping Nick Bosa. I mean, Nick Bosa is the DPOY. Micah Parsons, in all likelihood, will be second. But Parsons is the first defensive player since Lawrence Taylor to be named first-team All-Pro in each of his first two seasons. The only reason Nick Bosa is probably not on that list is because he got hurt in the second season. But Nick Bosa, it is going to be who can get to the quarterback more. And I will take the DPOY soon to be and the guy who has done it all season long against double teams, against holds, against whoever has been in front of him. This week, it will likely be Jason Peters, although he got hurt on Monday night. Apparently, is going to be good to go for Sunday. So he's going to be up against a better offensive line that he has faced, I would say, the majority of the season. Just off the top of my head, I can't think of a better one that Nick Bosa and the Niners front has faced. So it's going to be a challenge, but I believe that they will be able to create more pressure than the Dallas defense because the 49ers can run the football better. I think Brock Purdy is more evasive than Dak Prescott. And I think that Nick Bosa is simply just a better player with all due respect to Micah Parsons. So whoever gets to the quarterback more, it will also have an advantage. I'll take uh, I'll take Nikki B. I, I mean, no argument here. I mean, a couple of elite players you mentioned, probably one and two in the defensive player of the year voting. They're phenomenal, and I'm going to have a lot of fun watching them go to work because they're probably going to face a lot of double teams, as you mentioned, and we'll see who can beat them more often. The other thing is, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the Niners' defensive line depth. I also talked about it earlier. The Cowboys have that same thing. So, can Nick Bosa swallow up some double teams and open things up for others? We saw Javon Kinlaw. He's back in healthy for the 49ers. Uh, Eric Armstead had a really big uh, play in each of the last couple of games for the 49ers. Um, some other guys as well who have you know been injured. I mean, Jordan Willis, the last couple of weeks, has kind of been an unsung guy. He's been really good for San Francisco. So the depth of the defensive lines, I think, to your point, are going to be huge because the opposing offensive lines are going to be so keen on slowing down those superstars, Bosa and Parsons, that it's probably going to open up some some options, some big play possibilities for some of the others on both uh, defensive lines. And it might just come down to 
which others capitalize more often. That, that, that could be one of the deciding factors in this game. Yeah, and also with Dallas being more turnover prone, I I just think there's good whether it be through, you know, a strip sack, a fumble, an interception. I think San Francisco is going to get at least one turnover on defense, and as we've seen, when they get one, that can change the entire script of a game. I mean, yep. they absolutely flooded Seattle after getting that that strip sack uh, by Charles Amenahue. All right, Mark, let's get to our predictions for the game. Uh, San Francisco is a minus four favorite. The over-under is 46. Dallas at San Francisco, Levi Stadium, 330 kick. Who you got? I got the Niners coming out on top. I think they cover relatively easily. I told you at the top, I hopped on Niners minus three and a half. You should do the same if it's still up there. Niners 31, Cowboys 20. Niners 31, Cowboys 20. Niners win by 11. They cover easily. The over hits. I think it's another good game for Brock Purdy. They take care of the ball. And uh, again, Brandon Ayuk is the MVP of the game, triple digits receiving yards and gets into the end zone once as well. I think Niners cruise to a victory and are on to the second straight NFC title game. I'm sorry, did, did I get a score? 31-20. 31-20. Okay. Over the Cowboys. Gotcha. I think it's going to be a little bit closer, although I do think San Francisco is going to come out victorious. I also think they're going to cover. Because they have done so, Mark, in each of their past five divisional round games, 5-0, and against the spread. little nugget for all of you degenerates out there. Take it how you will. But That's I think me. San Francisco wins this game, I'll say, 28-21. 20, um, I don't think there's many field goal attempts in this game because I also think there's going to be a sense of urgency from both sides. I think we're going to see Kyle Shanahan get a bit aggressive on fourth down. I think that Dallas will do the same because they'll be playing from behind as a result. And with also maybe not some uh, trust in Brent Maher, I don't think there's going to be many kicks in this game. I think it's going to be 28-21. San Francisco wins at home and moves on to take on Philadelphia, who I believe takes care of business against New York. I guess, yeah, I might as well throw out my prediction for the other game as well. I agree with you. I think it's competitive, and it, it comes down to the fourth quarter. The The result is still in doubt, uh, but ultimately, I think Jalen Hurts will probably use his leg, scramble for a big first down on, on a big third down play in the fourth quarter, keep the keep the clock ticking, and ultimately waste the clock on on the uh, Giants. I think Philadelphia comes out on top and well as well and sets up the NFC title game we've all been expecting for almost two months now. Well, we certainly hope it is so. Although, I guess if you had to play the New York Giants, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in the conference title game. It would host the NFC Championship, so that might not be a bad consolation prize. Either way, we both feel confident that San Francisco beats Dallas and they cover the spread. I think you have the over. I am on the over as well, just so slightly. So that will do it for this episode of the 415ers podcast. We'll be coming at you on... I think probably Sunday night we'll record something after the game. TBD on when it will drop, but you'll either hear it Sunday night or Monday morning. So content coming your way, as always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark, thank you, my man. Yes, thank you, Evan. Looking forward to the game on Sunday. Have fun down at Levi's for me. Yeah, it's going to be juiced up. I will be rocking some non-affiliated gear, but I will be rooting for the 49ers. Uh, Of course, we can't show any sign of affiliation in the press box, but it's going to be wild, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well, Evan. Looking forward to chatting with you after as well. Yeah, sounds good. We'll talk to you next time. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings. This is the 415ers Podcast. Talk to you next time.